Well, hello there, and welcome to this Calvary Longview audio message. We're so glad you've chosen to take a moment to discover with us the truth that can be found in the Bible, and we pray that you'll be blessed by what you hear. Today, Pastor Al is going to be sharing with us a message from Paul's letters to the Thessalonians. We can't wait to get into God's Word, so crack open your Bible, grab your note-taking tools, and we'll get started. continue our study through the second chapter and uh, we'll look at verses 13 through 17 and if you're gaining speed and turning there let's stand and we're going to read our text this morning Paul the apostle writing to the church under persecution under just times that they're going through um, times of very much discomfort because of where they stand in the Lord. And in verse 13, we pick it up and it says, but we are bound, and we'll get to why he says this. We are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you from the salvation, uh, for salvation through sanctification by the spirit and belief in the truth to which he called you by our gospel for the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which you were taught, whether by word or our epistle. Now may the Lord Jesus Christ himself and our God and Father, who has loved us and given us everlasting consolation and good hope by grace, comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. And again, Lord, we're thankful that we have your word in place. You are so good to us. And we have the, the opportunity to open your word, but now we want to open our hearts so that your word, by your spirit, brings root to through our ears, to our hearts, that it might grow us in you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So with this, look at verse 13, because we picked this up as we're studying through. If you're visiting with us, we've been plowing through 2 Thessalonians on Sunday mornings and Jeremiah on Wednesday nights. In verse 13, if you notice, it says, but we are bound to give thanks to God uh, always for you. And because of we only have a limited time here on Sunday mornings to take the passage and break it up into chunks, let me remind you what the but we is there for. <laughs> Paul here is changing the audience, a direction in the audience in whom he's speaking to. Though the letter was written to the church, there were some things that he said. If you look up at verse 9 of chapter 2, this is where Paul was coming from. So important. It says, the coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. So again, Paul's directing this uh, this church to know that we are on a different route when it comes to all eternity. Again, verse 11, For this reason God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie, that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. And so the context is very important to know why Paul is writing this. In the passage that he has, there's no chapter break, no verse break uh, here. They were inserted many years later. But he starts here and he says, but we, and it's so important for us just to keep things in context of what Paul is talking about. And again, the prior verses are so important. He's talking about the end times. 
He's talking about the things that are going to take place during the, the end of times and that we should see them and we might see them. We won't see the things that, uh, for the church, the people that are out here, but he's saying, you know, you don't have to worry about this stuff. But some of the things here, as we see in verses three, it said, uh, he spoke about the great falling away. He says, don't worry. Uh, you know, the great falling away has to take place. Remember, Timothy talked about this in the fourth chapter, verse three. He says, for the time will come when they, again, he's speaking about those who don't, who want to reject Christ. Those who don't want to come to Jesus Christ, don't want to have their sins forgiven. He's speaking to them. And they will not endure sound doctrine, or even those in the church who aren't holding fast to sound doctrine, and they just want to go out and meander and open up every wind of doctrine. They don't really have that relationship with the Lord. They don't have a conviction upon their hearts that the Spirit of God has a direct message for the world today. He says, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. And when they turn their ears, and then they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. So that was the first thing we'll see uh, take place. We're seeing that today, but it's the great falling away, not a great falling away, but the great falling away, where I, I think at the end times you're going to see it, it's like flushing a commode. And you're going to see this so fast take place as we're seeing it, and it will increase. The second thing that Paul pointed out to them was in verses 3, verse 6 and 7, that the Antichrist will be revealed. And he says, for a time, remember that there's going to be the Antichrist will come on the scene. He's going to be known as this world leader trying to put the pieces back to the world, the things that have taken place due to the rapture. When things, planes come falling out of the sky, it's not be, you know, Christian uh, pilots are on board. And they're raptured, and, you know, planes are coming out of the sky, locomotives are crashing, surgeons are, well, patients are left there. <laughs> Or maybe some surgeons are up there trying to cut into a patient who's no longer there. You know, uh, but whatever the case may be, there's just this catastrophic stuff that's going on. And so the Antichrist is a man supposedly, supposedly having all the answers for them during the Great Tribulation. And then the third thing that Paul pointed out, this revealing of the Antichrist, the man of sin, will take place after he who restrains is taken out of the way. Verse 7, he said, for the mystery of the lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. And so Paul is clarifying to a church. And I think it's so important that you and I are, have this under clarity as well, because he's clarifying to them, to those who uh, said that you're going through the great tribulation. Granted, we go through some tough times sometimes, don't we? I mean, there are times you think, what in the world is going on? You know, why, what, what part of the process of this? But Paul told them, he says, you know, what? no matter what you're going through, in a sense, it's not the great tribulation. It could be hard on you. You could be wondering why these things are happening, why the troubles hit. And he says, you're not going through the great tribulation. He wanted to assure them in that. He says, listen, we'll be out of here. Can I get an amen? Right? I mean, I'm looking forward to that. I mean, 2020 didn't have to come. It wouldn't be cool if we didn't see any jets in cars, you know, remember the cartoon for some of you. But we could see all these people floating up to heaven or raptured to heaven. That would be cool. There's your Jetson look, if you will. So just like there's a generation that saw the flood, just like there's a generation that saw the birth of Christ, but globally we speak of the flood, there's going to be a generation that will be alive when the rapture comes. I'm praying it's just a generation. I mean, prophecy points, see, nothing else has to take place. So we can be that generation. Imagine every little Jewish girl would hope that she would have 
uh, be the carrier, be the mother of the Messiah, because that was every the promise through God to be given to every virgin Jewish girl that they would have that until they got married, then they'd have to check that off the bucket list. So there's a generation that'll be alive, that'll be alive when the rapture hits, and there'll be a generation that'll be left behind, that'll have to go through the rejection or the wrath of God that'll be poured out during the tribulation. So Paul here is clarifying to them, and he's saying, you know what, I want you to know these things. And he's trying, you know, there's some others out there that are wanting to convince you that the things that I've said are not so. How many times have people tried to convince you that the Bible is not true? Oh, it doesn't really mean that. Oh, God is a God of love, so, you know, do this. Or, oh, come on, close your eyes to that. That's exactly what Satan said in the garden. Oh, he didn't really say, did he? Yeah, let's take the Word of God for what it says. Let's not conform the Word of God to our lives, but let's conform our lives to the Word of God. And so Paul, again, is clarifying this thing. He wants them to be confident and comfortable knowing that, you know what, rest assured, God's got this. God has you. Just trust in His Word. So here in verses 13 through 17, there's a a kind of a a thing that Paul's changing here. From here to the end of chapter, almost the end of chapter 3, verse 15, um, he's, he's changing from, transitioning from, the day of the Lord, to exhorting the church how they're to live because of the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is at hand. We don't know how much time we have before we're taken out of here, whether through death or through the rapture. We don't know how much time we have, but we're to be ready. It's that theology of the imminent return, you know, that it motivates the church to live in a way to where we're going to live, not being corrupted by the world, not being corrupted by the world philosophies or ideologies, but that we are going to be men and women who are going to stand upon the Word of God. Right? We're going to stand upon the Word of God. And so, you know, this is where we need to stay. And so it's important that we understand what God's mind has for us. I mean, isn't it so in his heart? Isn't it so that when we go through times of difficulties, like this church is going through, keeping it in context, they're going through opposition. And when we go through times of opposition, that the devil wants to play with our minds. He wants to play and say, oh, you don't really believe. Oh, you don't really belong. Oh, he doesn't really love you. All of these things come. And Paul here encouraging them, two points of encouragement to the church before he prays for them. And look at verse 13, because that but we, he wants you to know something very important. But we are bound. In other words, Paul says we have this oblig- we're obligated to give thanks to God always, brethren, Beloved by the Lord, listen to this, because, here's where it's at. This is what we should be ever so thankful for. Because God from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. Do you understand that? I mean, do you need any other reason to rejoice? Do you have any other reason? You think, ah, man, this has been a bummer of a day. Well, take it back to the beginning. Take it back. Look at what God has done for you. I mean, there's nothing else out there that would compare with you and I having the privilege, the opportunity that he would even come to us, right? Listen, that he would even come down from heaven to earth and spread his arms and take on the penalty upon ourselves, that he would come down and say, you know what, I love you that much. I mean, that's a that's a gift in itself. But then to say, you know what, I love you and I want you to know that I died for you. And then we get salvation out of the deal. I mean, I'm like blown away. I'm like going, for real? I mean, you love me that much? 
I mean, so you see this time here uh, that, that we have, that, that should bring us so much joy. I don't know what I'm going through yesterday or the day before or last week or 2019. I don't know how I treated you, but regardless, we have salvation. Man, when this is all over, I got heaven. And nothing compares to that. Luke chapter 10, Jesus sent out the 70 disciples and they come back. And remember, they had the power to heal, the power to watch miracles. And he said this, he said, behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions. All would like that authority, right? I'm down. I hate snakes, but I'm down. And then he says, and over all the power of the enemy. We can dig that too, right? I'm like, all right. And then he says, and nothing shall uh, by any means hurt you. Isn't that cool? Whatever you're right, right on. But he says, nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. I mean, we have heaven. You're a bunch of filthy, rotten sinners. Myself, chief, I know. But isn't that true? And God has given us heaven. He's he's changed our ways. And I have great joy with that. I mean, I'm thinking, ever so thankful that we've chosen us. Listen. I love it. Um, I love going to Hawaii. I mean, some of you guys know that. I, I get these airline miles to where my wife and I have been to Hawaii for 15 bucks round trip nonstop. I love it. I'm serious, right? But Hawaii doesn't last forever. I got to come back to the PNW, <laughs> Pacific Northwest, right? And as much as I love Hawaii, there's nothing in comparison with heaven and eternity with Jesus. Nothing compares to that. And you ever, you, you know, you ever get a thought that God has forgotten you or that, you know, he's just not paying attention to what we need? Listen, right here it says that he's chosen you. He's chosen you. You may not have chosen him, but he's chosen you. He loves you that much. He doesn't care what you've been through or what you're, what's going on in your life right now. He's chosen. He knew that. Imagine that. And he still loves us. He chose us and, and, and to, he, he wants us to spend eternity with him. That blows my mind. So we see on earth things aren't fair. Things are difficult at times. But we still have this knowledge that God says, but I've chose you. And I know it's not fair, but don't understand this, that it wasn't fair. I didn't have to send my son. But I love you so much that I wanted to do that. I'll send my son. And plus, through everything that we ever go through on earth, we have him to walk us through these things. I mean, that's amazing. And so this very message that Paul is, wants to get across to the church at Thessalonica as they're traveling through these difficult times on their own, he wants you and I to know as well. That listen, I've chosen you. I've chosen you. And listen what he says, you're not an afterthought. I don't want to see a raise of hands, but I know many of you, maybe like myself, all of you, had children unplanned. I mean, you know, you just didn't think, okay, I've got this money in the bank. I think it's a good time to have a child. It just came and Elaine said, I'm pregnant. Oh, (laughs) let me check the bank account. Hang on. Can you put that on hold for 18 months? Deborah wasn't going to wait around that long, you know. God didn't have any afterthoughts or mistakes. From the beginning of time, as he flung the stars out into existence, can you imagine this? He sends Mars out and Pluto and Jupiter. He's thinking, oh, I can't wait for Al to come to know me. I can't wait for him to see the gift. And he's throwing the galaxies out there. He says, you know what? I can't wait for uh, Suki to love me. I just can't wait to have fellowship with her. And he throws out the, you know, the world, the cosmos, and all these things. I can't wait to meet with Keith because in that year that, you know, all these things. He's chosen us. That's his greatest desire is that from the beginning of time, not, not in 1959 when my mom and dad 
uh, when I was conceived. <laughs> and then at Christmas time, I was thinking about this. I am a Christmas baby. Something was happening at Christmas. Because I was born in August of 1960. So uh, something was going on there. They were filled with joy. And then this little boy came along, you know. <laughs> so in, in 1960, God didn't start thinking of me in 19, just in 1960, in August or whenever. He didn't start thinking of me on December 9th, 1989 when I gave my life to him. He didn't start thinking of me then. He didn't start thinking of you then. He thought of you from the beginning of time. Isn't that crazy? He has the capacity to do that. You and I go, trip. I don't understand that. No, you don't, because he's God. But he has the ability to know that, and he's thinking of you now. And you might be here this morning thinking, I don't have a relationship with him. My life has been a mess. Understand this, that God thought, thought of you so much that he had you here this morning. You might be online tuning in. And you're, you're thinking, what is God doing? And he says, you know what? I love you so much. I want you to hear this message this morning that I have thought of you. You may not have thought much of you, but I thought of you enough to create you in the very beginning of time. And I planted you in the year of 2020 in that church at Calvary Chapel, wherever they are listening to the gospel. And you need to hear this. This isn't an afterthought. You're not an afterthought, but from the very beginning of time, he's been thinking about each of us. You know, Willie Nelson penned, penned that song, you know, you're always on my mind, but he was thinking of some chick. God was thinking of every one of us, right? He was thinking about every one of us throughout the quarter of time. And when he's thinking about us, like we're not, we're not mistakes or, or un, unplanned or anything like that. His planning was that he loved you enough, he thought of you to have a fellowship with you for all eternity. That's his goal. That's his goal for every one of us. And you may not be living in that zone right now, but today you can. Today you can understand that. To be know that he's chosen. And if God chooses us from the very beginning, there's nothing, there's nothing that ever was or nothing that ever is that you, you and I can do to improve on our status to get picked by him. He's chosen us. It's already it's a done deal. So the Bible speaks about the time of creation. This is what he's talking about. Again, not the time you were conceived or the time where he says, well, there's a mad, there's a mad rush of people going on. You know, there's a lot of people that were born, was it two days ago? Or, or maybe it was even New Year's Day. A lot of people, I don't know, what was happening nine months prior to that? But there was a lot of people, New Year's babies or just after New Year's or maybe the moms are holding out for that tax break or something. I don't know what it was. But it was, you know, to rejoice over that. That we know that we don't have to be good enough because he already knew what bad dirt you were going to do and I was going to do. He already knew that. But he chose us anyway. And he says, you know what? I love you and I created you. And I know that you're going to go through this tough time, but I've chosen you. I want you to know that. I want you to understand that. And so from the beginning that he knew that and he loved us and he would send his son to die for us. He knew that we couldn't do it on our own. How amazing is that? We couldn't do it on our own. So no doubt that we're rejoicing and we rejoice over many things. We rejoice when our children graduate. We rejoice when they get out of bed on time in the morning. But right, we rejoice when they do their chores. We rejoice at weddings. Weddings are cool. Love weddings. We rejoice in our team scores. Some of you can't wait to get out of here and hopefully see your team score a few points. Now some rejoice when things are going well, the birth of a child or after a trial. Or we rejoice because we have God's word and his blessing in us. We rejoice over many things. But do we really rejoice and find ourselves rejoicing in the fact that he saved us? And that from the beginning of time that he had you in mind. Understand that. You're no afterthought. And, and, and I think of this. There are far too many times when we find ourselves struggling through life and forgetting about the mind and the heart that God has for us. 
This chosen means that he's taken for oneself. Each of us here are like that 11th man when there's two five-man basketball teams. We're like the 11th man. You ever been there? Well, we picked Billy and George and Sally and Sue, and all of a sudden you're left standing going, well, I wasn't going to play anyway. And God's saying, you know what? I, I chose you. I chose you as well. You see, he, he, he doesn't just choose us as well. And then when we go in life and we start meandering away from him, that he doesn't stop choosing us or, or pull his choice from us. He doesn't do that at all. He's never stopped that. He doesn't matter the amount of dirt that we have done that he will keep from re- revealing his son, Jesus Christ, to you. I'm so thankful for that. I'm so thankful that, uh, you know, on that day, December 9th, 1989, that he came and he showed me that perfect plan that he had for me. The plan of being saved. It's so incredible. And so there, there has never been nor will there ever be anyone who has more of a desire to have fellowship with you like the Lord Jesus does. This is what he desires from you. I mean, you think about times, even with your spouse, times of fellowship and love, they're going to fluctuate, right? And at times when children, your, your love for them even will be tested, though you will never stop loving, you'll be tested. And, and even your dogs, some of your dogs, you don't even bring you to slippers and a paper anymore, right? You get home, there's no love there anymore. What happened to this dog? But God will never stop loving you. He will never stop. There's nothing that can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Nothing. And then look again at verse 13, because listen what he says. And he's reminding this church of Thessalonica that people were telling them, you're going through the tribulation. He says, listen, because God from the, giving, from the beginning chose you for salvation, not for wrath, for salvation. Notice that God loves you enough and keeping it in context to choose you to be with him, salvation, to be with you forever and ever, not, not for wrath. I mean, so many people get an idea. They, they don't like church or they don't like God because he's coming down on them with a big hammer. You're trying to convince them that, no, you're no good. God says, no, I chose you for salvation. I will punish the world. You can either accept what I've done th- for you through my son, Jesus Christ, or you're, gonna, you're going to uh, have to stand on your own. You see, the very thing that wrath was connected with, or that is connected with, is that the wrath that you and I deserve for our sins was taken upon Jesus of the cross. He took our penalty upon us. Instead, we've been given salvation through Jesus Christ. The, that's why you look at the greatest gift. When you look at the gift of salvation, you think, oh, I don't feel like going to church today. I'm like, I want to be there. Why? Because, man, you see what Jesus has done for me? You know the price that he paid? And they're taking communion today? Oh, I just can't wait to be a part of that. And it's just so important, you know, that whether we realize that he doesn't wait for us to become better before he chooses us. He's chosen us, hoping that we'll look to him. Hoping that every sinner, no matter how bad they are, no matter how terrible their life has been, that they'll look to him. He says, I've always been here for you. I've never moved. You see, he's chosen us. And even though that love or our our love here on earth will fluctuate at times, his love for us will never um, fluctuate. The very thing that we deserved, he took care upon uh, he took care of upon the cross. And instead, he's given us salvation through his son. The very first letter that Paul wrote, or I should say 1 Thessalonians chapter uh, 5, in verse 9, he says this, For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, in Jesus speaking to his disciples before he was buried, before he died, was buried, and was resurrected. In John 3.16, you, you'll see the signs up there today. 
in the football stadiums around the world, they'll say, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that who shall ever believe in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Listen, everyone ever born is part of this world. That means he, the, the world that he died for. Every one of us. You know, this is God's desire. The entire world would come to repentance and see that he's chosen the world. He's chosen you to send his son to die for that. The responsibility is of the world to accept his blessing and accept the gift that he's given to us. Many years ago, some of you football fans, and because the end of football season, remember a guy coming out of the college, Stanford University, he was selected by the, Baltimore, the, by the then Baltimore Colts in the first round of the draft pick of the National Football League. His name was John Elway. And what a privilege it would be to not only play for the NFL, but to be the first round draft pick. So incredible, right? But John Elway sat out and demanded a trade. I don't want to play for that team, you know. And sadly, this is what it's like for many who sit in the pews, though they come to church. They come and they find themselves being called by God for salvation, only to find themselves holding out and demanding for something else. In football, you can hold out and play for another team, possibly even a better team. And you can win a championship. You can win a lot of, win a lot, earn a lot of money or whatever the case may be. But that's in the world. When it comes to the afterlife, the afterworld, there's only one team that is one. It's Jesus Christ. And, for, and we've chose him. And if we want to be like John Elway to play for another team, there's only one other team in existence. And it's Satan's lying losers. So you can either play for the Aints or you can play for God's Saints. So he's telling you right now, he's just saying, you know what, listen, for God so loved the world, you've been chosen from the beginning of time. He says you've been chosen from the beginning of time unto salvation through, listen, sanctification. See, this church is going through it. But it's all right. Paul says, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. You're going through some hard times. It's okay. That's part of the sanctification process at times that God brings about in our parts that separates us from this world, that gets our hearts at parts of, you know, we go through a difficult time. There's parts in our lives where we didn't know that we weren't trusting God. And all of a sudden we find ourselves trusting in the Lord. It's like, that's what he's wanting us to do. He's wanting us to allow these things to take place in, in, in order for them to be possibly used in our lives to draw us closer to him. He's not punishing us all the time unless we're doing bad. But, you know, he's, he's like, I've got this. And sanctification is that separation from this world. And he uses things or allows things to take place so that we'll be further separated from these things of the world. It's setting apart for God's service. And that's what it speaks about throughout the Bible. So it's a process that God allows in our lives. He was allowing it to the, to the church in Thessalonica to assist in developing, listen, the Christ-like character in every one of us. It's all right. See, it's a process that brings us to holiness. And at times, we too, just like this church in Thessalonica, is going, they're going through difficult times, and God has allowed these times as a sanctifi sanctifying process or sanctifying time. And I don't have to agree with how, what, or who he uses. I don't have to care with the process of how he brings things about, but I'm just down with whatever he does. I'm okay with it. Because I know that in his hands, I don't realize what he's creating within me, but I know that everything that he does is going to be good and perfect unto him. 
So as unsaved people, though, before Christ, we knew nothing about being holy. So we come to faith in Christ, and he doesn't just stop there. He says, okay, now you're saved. You're sealed with the Holy Spirit. But now the sanctification process, you're going to go through some things. I want you to become more like my son. So prior to coming to Jesus, we knew nothing about that. But now that he belongs, or we belong to him, he brings, a, he brings change to our lives, then we need to surrender to that every day. You know, our, our nation, we think about the nation that we live in. See how much has changed? Our nation wasn't built on, on, on the point of you have to be a Christian to live here, but it was built on Christian principles. It was built on the ethics, the morals that you see coming from the Bible. But with, but with God, the, the morals, and, and you know, God-given morals, we can see what happens to a nation when they depart from those things. When we leave those things, we can see where we're at. The fabric of society is lowered into this place to where it's in that trench of the world, if you will. And it's into an everything goes culture. And so don't worry about, Paul's telling issues, don't worry about what you go through. You have, you know, there's a sanctifying process. You're, you're going to find yourself becoming less and less attached to this world and more attached to Jesus Christ. And then in verse 13, he says, and check this out, it's by the spirit and belief in the truth. You see, in and of ourselves, we're blind until the spirit moves in. And God's spirit moves in our lives and he gives us new life. And he comes in there, and it's the Spirit of God by the Word of God who pointed out how much we missed that mark. We didn't hit that mark. We weren't going in the right direction. And how much even today, we still may not be doing the right thing. And we needed this. We have this terrible need for a Savior. And now we need a ter- we have this awesome need for a guide, somebody to guide us on a daily basis. And that's the Holy Spirit who does that work in us. It's all right. There's a, there's a role that we can trust in, a role of the Holy Spirit that we can trust in in our lives. Jesus said to the disciples in John 16, But now I go away to him who sent me, and none of you ask me, Where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. And if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, and I will send him to you. And when he comes... He will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin because they do not believe in me. Of righteousness because I go to the Father and uh, and you see me no more. Of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. So we go through this process in life. And sometimes we're hit blindsided so hard by something. We're saying, what in the world is going on? And his response is, I've got, I've got you through this. You have the Holy Spirit. You're going through everything that you go through. And this is the church had to realize this. People were not loving. They weren't being that family the way they were because they were their stance in Jesus Christ. They had come to faith in Christ. And they were saying, you know what? I don't care what happens to me. Jesus Christ is the answer for my life. And I'm going to walk with Jesus. And if you don't want to walk with me, I love you and I care for you, but I am not going to change. The direction that I have in my life is going to continue to be with Jesus. So with that, opposition comes. You guys have felt that. Opposition comes in your life and people are going, ah, man, that guy's a trip. That gal's a trip. Why are they doing that? They're Jesus freaks. And you go, what a compliment. But but it's so true. It's so true. And he says, listen, he says that sanctification, he says through sanctification by the Spirit. So whatever you're going through, understand this, that God sends his spirit to come alongside of you and to help you out through it all. I'm all right with that. He, doesn't leave, he just doesn't leave you to do it on your own. But he says, I will walk you through everything. You know, we, we know very well the passage. 
Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall fear no evil. Why? Because God is with me, right? We understand that. But when we see that his spirit is always with us, he's not going to leave us or forsake us. No matter where we've been or how we walked, he's, he's just there and he says, you know what, I'm going to walk you through this. That part of sanctification, the part for the Thessalonian church to look at and say, you guys, the, the, the opposition may be growing against you, but I'm with you. The world hates you. Remember what the Bible says? Jesus said to his disciples, the world hates you. You want to walk with Jesus? You're going to have opposition. And then in verse 14, he says, to which has been called... Uh, to which he had called you by our gospel for the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, it's the word of God and the spirit of God working together lead us to salvation. There was nobody that coerced anyone, nobody that had a gun to your head to say, you need to come to Jesus today. Salvation comes by way of hearing the word and you respond in faith. It's the biggest point of non-believers as they hear the word, they know what to do. But they don't respond because they don't mix it with faith. And you, again, you and I this morning, you got to understand that. If you're not walking with Jesus, you don't have a relationship with him. You know, you may know more about the Bible than I do. But if you don't know the author of the Bible, then that's what hurts. That's what separates. And you, you, know, you know Jesus saying, listen, you've got to mix it by faith. You've got to come to me. He's got to own your life. I give my life to you. I got to share with a young man yesterday who... I uh, had a privilege of just sharing with. He knows the Bible, knows about God. And I just shared with him. But you know, if God is in you, you have he gives you these assurances of eternal life. These assurances that you have no doubt that you'll be with him forever and ever. And so he says, you know what? He called you by our gospel for the obtaining of the glory. We're going to be with Jesus one day. And then look at the second thing as we kind of wrap this up. He says, the second thing that he points out to him is, you guys stand, therefore... Because of your position, because he's chosen you, because of these things, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which you were taught, whether by word or by epistle. You know what this means? It means be stationary. Don't be moved to you know back and forth from every wind of doctrine. But you be stationary. You be put. You know the the something else, the world's philosophies, everything that uh, you know the the devil has to offer. It's the antichrist way of. Uh, feeding this world another pill. But but the entire world is filled with all of this stuff, with sin, with drugs, and with all this stuff that's out there, with freedoms and philosophies that are contrary to a child of God. He says, listen, no matter what they're saying out there, it might even be the majority, but you stand fast. How is the world going to know about a true God if nobody's standing fast? If nobody's standing up for the truth? If nobody's standing in truth, if the church, if once we leave here, if we're like, party on, you know, and we're going through Winco with all of our, you know, we got our booze and our goings, oh, don't forget Freedom Market, and we're stopping by there, and they, hey, where'd you just come from? I just came from church, hallelujah, you know, the game's, what are, what are we demonstrating? Let's stand fast. Do we need those things? I'm not saying that you can't, you know, I won't get into that. Stand fast. Stand fast. You see, again, the entire world is out there. It's anti-Christ preaching a different message. And I'm trying to get people off of drugs and off of alcohol onto Jesus. And we have the answer. And listen, if I invite somebody to church because I have a heart to see them saved, and I know you have a heart to see them saved, and then, oh, I saw you at church. Yeah, yeah, I saw you in Winkle the night before. 
What message are we preaching? Paul says, look, stand fast and hold to what you were taught. He's referring to the scriptures. Hold fast. Be conforming. Let, it, let the word of God conform you. Listen, we might find it hard to surrender, but just do it. Just do it. Surrendering doesn't come naturally, does it? I mean, it really doesn't. But we just got to find ourselves in that place. We live in a culture like the Thessalonians were living in, to where they had many pagan gods out there, and many things were okay. They were they they probably had more freedoms and legalities than you and I could think of today. And we're thinking we have it bad. But all I do is I look at look at they're going to you know today we have to stand fast in the truth. I want the the world out there to see that there is a true God. That somebody's not afraid to be the minority. That somebody's not afraid to stand upon the word of God and stand fast and say, it ain't say it ain't so, Joe. It ain't happening here. You know what I mean? No, because God wants to save you from that stuff. He wants to free you up. He wants to give you the power of the Holy Spirit. Now imagine this. Our heart as we're praying, going through Jeremiah, literally praying for backsliders and for non-believers to come to faith in Christ in this church. We want to see God moving and God saving and I want to see them coming to the living in the power of God, the power of the Holy Spirit in their lives. And so somebody has to take a stand for the truth. Somebody's got to be up and say, you know what, this is no monkey business. This is not my, this is God's word to us. So in Paul's day, the church is, you got to understand this, the church is being established, it's beginning. Theology was coming around, it was being formed as the Holy Spirit would give Paul the apostle and some of the other leaders uh, things to write to communicate to the church. And we look back and Paul, Paul wouldn't say, well, here's a letter, and I'm telling you that he's chosen you, but whatever you think about it, I wasn't saying that. You see, God's word to the church back then wasn't really up for discussion. I mean, it wasn't up for voting. Let's vote upon this. And it's the same today. It's like we've gotten into this place where the church many times has to blend into the world to make have the world think, oh, yeah, yeah, the church is cool. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's not that bad. Listen. Sin will kill you. Sin, sin without Christ, having your sin washed, we're still going to sin. Having your, having your sin, not having your sin washed, sends you to hell. But Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Come to me, and I will wash you of your sin. Listen, the church needs to stand up on what the gospel is and what the gospel does and how the gospel frees somebody else. Just yesterday in Fox, in the Fox newspaper, United Methodist Church announces proposal to split over LGBTQ rights. Can I just say something? The Bible settled us in the courts of heaven. Let's move on. You know, let's love them. Let's show them that it doesn't matter what. I don't care if you're with, you know, the freedom market standards or whatever it is. You need Jesus Christ. That's the bottom line. I'm not trying to pick on anybody, but we have to stand up for the truth. Out there, they want to, in the, in the world, they want to dilute the truth. They want to say, come as you are. And I'm like that too. Come as you are. Just don't stay that way. Come as you are and be washed. Once you're washed by the blood of the Lamb, you can't stay that way. It's like, can you believe this? He saved me from this life. He saved me from my drugs and alcohol. He saved me from this stuff. And God is so good to see that stuff. Listen, we need to take a stand. And lastly, Paul closes for them. And then we're going to take communion. He says in verse 16, his prayer, he says, now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and our and our God and Father, who has, this is past tense, meaning he still does, loved us and given us the everlasting consolation and good hope by grace. Listen, may he comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. So he has given us love. What is that love? 
No matter what you've been through, that God loves you. No matter what's going on in your life this morning, God loves you. Understand that. No matter what you've done, whatever you've done hasn't separated you from the love that God has for you. The second thing he says, that everlasting consolation, that's comfort. No matter what we go through, that he will always be the source of comfort. Not southern comfort. Not Mr. Zigzag. Those things don't comfort you. See, and then the third thing he says, a good hope by grace. No matter what you've gone through on earth, he promises to come and receive us unto himself. That hope by grace, not by your working, not by your attempts to make yourself better, but by the grace of God, he wants you to come to him, the hope of heaven that we have in the end. And because of what we have, may the Lord grant us comfort for our hearts. How many of you need to be comforted this morning? Comfort for our hearts. See, only Jesus can bring real comfort to the hurting heart. And they and we, uh, we're not to look for outside comfort, but to Him. And then to establish every good work and work. To establish means to set fast. It's a, it's a set in a certain direction that we're not going to move from this. And every good and perfect work, everything that comes from our mouths, everything that we do, it comes from our labors. He wants, a, he wants to direct us in a certain specific direction we're not to wander around aimlessly he's got a plan let me close with this as the ushers will bring forth communion are you rejoicing in this morning in the fact that uh, have you forgotten that he's chosen you and this morning that he being reminded that he's chosen you and if you may have forgotten, or maybe it's come off of you, maybe you're, you know, you're just thinking, I haven't thought of that in a long time, and maybe you're here this morning, and you need to rethink that, and re- you're having that word kind of reapply to your mind, your heart right now, that He has chosen you. And nothing is going to separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. And the question may be, are you saved? Are you born again this morning? He doesn't care what you've done. He doesn't care where you've been. He cares where you're going. And if you're here this morning, I want to encourage you. And if you don't have a relationship with him, maybe you wandered away from him, I'm going to ask you just to close your eyes, bow your heads. And if you have... We hope you've enjoyed spending this time in God's Word. And our prayer is that you'll take it with you and apply it to your life. If you'd like to learn more about Calvary Longview, visit our website at cclongview.com. While you're there, you can find more teachings, request prayer, or even find out how you can get involved with what God is doing in our city. We hope you have an amazing day. We'll see you back here next time. And remember, Jesus loves you, and so do we.